y'all, y'all. Welcome back to another amazing episode of Hip Hop Heads. I'm your host, No Sage. I got No back. As always, we are back off a of hiatus. This is an episode that uh, we've been wanting to come back to, so we're going to call it part two. Back with Jay Ferg, Jason Ferg. Um, just a concept extraordinaire. Um, Jay, like I, I think I saw a couple of profiles where like some of your music is posted as your full name, Jason Ferguson, and also as Jay Ferg. But um, you just got a lot of a lot of amazing content. You actually dropped um a beat album just last month. I've been I've been digging uh, wrong turn. Uh, just just been loving that. So Thank um, you. yeah, man. So I mean, just wanted to chop it up with you. Just wanted to hear you know some of um what influenced you as, 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 um, as a beat maker. I know you've been doing some um, presentations as well, as far as like, um, kind of, um, having folks see things in a different direction. So yeah, man, let's just, uh, let's just chop it up, man. I just, I just been, um, been definitely, um, um, waiting to kind of ch chat out with you for some time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate y'all, you know, setting this up and us having a, a round two conversation and that yes, this, sir. uh, you know, be two of a thousand. We'll keep it going. Um, yeah, man. But yeah, to answer your question, man, I've been just exploring ways to express myself as an artist, as a creative. And I heard most Def say in an interview at some point, uh, some, some time ago, he was talking about the evolution of hip hop. And he was saying eventually and ideally, um, we should be able to release hip hop albums that did not even need words. You know that the music in itself is hip hop. Like it's, it's, um, you know, it the, the the sounds alone could carry the culture and the lifeblood of hip hop. And I, I'm going beyond what I heard Mo say or Yasin Bey say uh, to just kind of add my own thoughts. But uh, with this particular uh, body of work. It's called uh, Wrong Turn, and it's streaming everywhere. Jason Ferg, Wrong Turn. Uh, it's 17 tracks, and in my mind, when I was listening back to beats that I produced, and I'm like, man, what can I kind of put together? What kind of has this, a storyline, right? Um, as I listen to the songs in the sequence that you find them now on the album, it kind of, a story was unfolding to me. Like, man, this track is actually describing such and such. And then it, it you know, this, the character goes from that kind of energy to this other energy. And then this happens and this character makes a wrong turn. And then, you know, so it's a story, even though it's no lyrics. And so I had fun with that. I really enjoyed it. And I'm like, man, I want to explore that more and more, just kind of creating things that don't always require words per se, or a lot of words in order to still express something uh, we can convey a lot of thoughts or ideas or emotion or evoke emotion uh, with just the the um, the sonic waves of the beats that alone. So that was that, man. And it it also is just as you all can imagine, just a a, a very dope creative outlet. You know, I'm working and traveling and taking care of my family and doing all these other things, but man, to be able to sit down and just get on a drum pad and just chop up a sample and come up with something. I'm just like, yo, that, I needed that. I needed that outlet. So uh, it was it was fun and therapeutic at the same time. It pricked my ears up when you're talking about storylines because like, 
the wrong turn title track was sort of like in the middle. And I almost felt like at some part in the beginning of the album, it was like almost like a party is very festive. And then once I hear the wrong turn album, it still has that energy, but it has that eeriness to it that I'm like, uh oh, you know, we're shifting gears. So like, I, I totally respect that, that you just didn't try to like, you know, just throw a whole bunch of beats in, into, you know, one album and say you can call it an album like you were trying to tell a story with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, it flows really well because I, I was listening to it one day. I was in the car. I don't ride along because I keep checking you. I keep checking you out. I'm like, I hear something new. Is it you or I hear something, hear something that uh, Marcel dropped? So it's just good music coming out of, out of your group, man. I mean, everybody out of that crew, there's a new joint every other month. And I'm sitting there like, let me see what he can drop now. So your stuff, everything cohesively flows together. So it's not like you do a beat and it's different. They transition. So it's almost like you built the transitions between the tracks. It's real smooth. I was driving along, eyes closed a little bit because I'm trying to create this story in my mind. But I'm looking out the window and I'm imagining how would you hit this beat? Or I'm imagining like what would Jason say over this track or whoever hits that track, basically. So that's what I started noticing. I was trying to imagine what would you say to this? How do you finish this? Man, so I'm going to tell you the truth, man. That means so much to me, right? Because what you just said was one of my goals. And the interesting thing about this project for me is, for me, I think about the power of black and white photography. And when you see like dope black and white photography, it, it draws in your imagination because the color is not there. So you're looking at this image, but you know that the person who was holding the camera was seeing the same image or the same scene in color, but you just get the black and white. So when you're looking at the image, it just creates, and I don't even know that we react to this or we know that we react to this, but it, it creates this space where you get drawn in because your mind naturally is starting to figure out, was the shirt yellow or was it orange? Or oh, I see this person smiling, but you know, like it, 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 it opens up so much room for your creativity to get involved. So now you become a participant in the art form as, as opposed to just a spectator of it, you know? And so what I wanted to do with this album was, and, I, and the first few people that I shared it with, I'm like, man, let your imagination get involved. Don't hold back your imagination. So those types of questions, like when you're listening to it and you're like, man, something is missing or I could hear this, that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted somebody to, I mean, case in point, as an MC, I wanted to produce an album where MCs are like, oh man, I would go crazy over this beat. Or like you said, I know Jay will go crazy over this beat. So same room, man. Sometimes we say too much, we, we do too much, but sometimes it's, the beauty is in the space that we create for something else to fill that 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 gap. And um, you think about hip hop, and, and I'll say this, and, and we we can dive into the next topic or conversation. But one of the things that hip hop rests upon, and you know, just kind of taking it all the way back to the essence, um, when it all started, man, there were these repetitive loops you know there were repetitive loops 
So beat making at its finest, if you want to go back to like the earliest days of hip hop as we know it, as we call it today, there was a repeated loop of a song that already existed. <laughs> it was the breakdown of a song. It was that, that part of a song where most of the major instruments dropped out and it was the drums and the bongo and it was that groove and everybody who could dance wanted to dance over that break beat. And the art of the DJ was to keep giving them that break beat, which is why the two turntables came about. So we could just elongate the break beat. I'm going to keep giving you that break beat. So when I'm listening to Wrong Turn, I'm just like, man, I'm taking it back to the essence. I'm just going to play this loop. Like, this is that part of the song uh, that, you know, when I chopped it up, I'm like, man, this is somewhat repetitive, but isn't this what hip hop started as? Repeating something that was good to you, you know, just find that thing that was really good to you and keep repeating it, keep repeating it, keep repeating it to the point where words start to flow, you know, or something else starts to happen and you keep layering on top of it. But it's repeating that thing that was good. That's that, that's the whole idea. And um, I, I wanted to also, uh, and Jay, you were speaking about this, but just like having these moments where I'm harnessing not just sound, but I'm harnessing energy. Like you said, like festive. You feel that like, oh man, it's like a party going up on, in the front and then it kind of smooths out. And then at some point it's just like, man, it's just getting a little dark or something, you know, this is not as happy as it was up front. And then maybe it starts to get lighter again. There's some hope coming back into the situation or, you know, that type of thing. So uh tapping into those emotions too yeah no i agree like you know you think about that track draw four you know you listen to draw four it's circular so you listen to this beat like to go in and out it, it keeps fading and heading pretty much mm -hmm. i mean you know that's you're right about it i mean that's what hip-hop was hip-hop was a it's a it's a drum beat that keeps rotating and keeps coming back and hitting you basically so it opens up it opens up your mind to think about all the different possibilities. What can I do with this beat? How can I hit it? You know, what else can I do with it? I'm imagining, like, you know, it's almost like I grew up reading comic books. So when I listen, when I listen to this album, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like what, what is this in like a, a Marvel sense or a DC sense? You know, is it like a uh, is it a movie where you got like the different phases of the movie pretty much? This is more cinematic to me than you know, it, it's cinematic hip hop, you think about it because you can layer a movie on top of this. That's what I like about the sound of this album pretty much. It's pretty hot. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate y'all both listening to it and, and, and getting into it. And you're right, like in my mind, it, it, it is a scene. It's like a movie, it's a soundtrack. And you know, I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody else who wants to add their own creativity to it. But the story that formed in my mind when I listened to it from front to back, that, that music is the soundtrack of that story in my mind. I'm just like, man, if there's this one single character that's kind of moving through the scene from the start of the album to the end of the album, every song that comes on, I could see what's happening around this character. And it's like, you know, when you, you're in the theater or you sit on the couch watching a movie and you're just like, no, Joe, don't even do it. No, man, don't do it. <laughs> like that. There are points in the album where I actually had that reaction, like, I know you're feeling this right now, right? Yeah, okay, okay, this is, this is live, this is live. Yeah, this is crazy. 
And he's like, no, hey, watch out, man, watch out. I just saw, you know, you, you could see the danger. You could see the different layers around it. Like even when, with, when the characters get lulled to sleep, you know, it's just like, man, you falling for it, man. You taking the bait. Don't, mm-hmm. don't swallow that pill. You know, that's not, don't do it. Don't do it. And it's like, oh, you know, so. And then again, that, that story of hope that comes after that, like, man, you went all the way down to the, to the pit. And then what's it going to be from here? You know, are you going to stay down there? What, what choices is the character going to make from there to either bounce back or to reinvent? themselves or whatever so um to me I could that and one of my boys uh one of my guys out in LA uh his name's Kendrick by the way he's an amazing uh, producer and bass bass player uh he was like he was like man this album is moving you know he was like it, it just has so much movement you know just like the rhythms and stuff like that so I stretch myself and you know the other thing that I've been doing is like trying to not sound like anybody, you know, like I'm, I definitely have my influences, my fan, I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, certain producers and all of that, but like, it's things that I've just been trying, like just testing out different things. Like I never tried this before. What would this sound like? Or what if this was the beat, you know, this is it, you know? So uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's been fun. It's like the Thundercat like, approach to production. If you think about it, you're listening mm-hmm. to Thundercat. How like Thundercat is so different from everybody else mm-hmm. that you find yourself listening to it and you're like, "Wow, this dude is this dude is nice." It's weird, but you know, it's a niceness. Like you know, you had the yeah. Dragon Ball song and everything like that. You listen to Dragon Ball Do Rag. You're like, "Who comes up with this stuff?" Yeah. And then you know, you listen to Wrong Turn. You go, you get, you know, you get, you get down toward the end. You get to rescue. You get the mind because re- rescue rescue makes you believe the storm is ending, and then and then mind comes on and it speeds up a little bit. And you're like, that's why I said your eyes close a little bit and you open up again. You're like, okay, he back at it again. He back at it again. We got more tracks. So mm-hmm. like the tempo keeps changing on you. That's what keeps you going at that point because you you visualizing what if I was in this scene or if you or you pick a character in your mind. What's the character looking at when he's looking out the window at this developing right now? This storm about to come, so it, it's sweet. You didn't think about it, but yeah, you you made it so unique and different, and it's nice. It is it is nice, you know. Like you know, if you can listen to it in the car, you can listen anywhere. Now you put on your headphones, it's more intimate. But when you get more intimate with it, sometimes you're sitting there and you can't relax sometimes because you, you you're anxious because what's the next track gonna be like. Give me the next. Give me the next baseline. Let me hit it. Let me hit up. Let me hear what a hook would be like on this. So you start visualizing hooks and everything else while you listen to this stuff. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Thank you for that. So Jay, man, um, I just love uh, you talking about this reinvention idea. And before we hit record, you definitely were talking about you know evolving yourself, evolving the music. I mean, to be honest, like I still. I always go back to the first time I met you, like in the early 2000s at college. Like, I, I know you could blow. I knew you always could sing. And then every time you drop bars in the hip hop sense, it's like I, I get chills. I'm like, man, I, I keep forgetting my man can spit. And it's not like you need to prove anything, but it's just it, 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 it my brain like starts gearing and turning because I'm thinking like, I just love how you you love to come back to the pocket of hip hop where you're always trying to in my mind, I feel like you're evolving yourself or like, you know, 
you coming back to the hip hop well and just the idea of you talking about like a black and white picture and like you know like reimagining that for somebody else like that's just like a hip hop like terminology to me you know what I'm saying so it's like what is it about I guess the hip hop well or just in general that makes you feel like you need to like re, you know redefine yourself and like re-evolve man I, that's a I love that question you know I think hip hop is one of the most um brilliant expressions period you know like of all time you think about how hip-hop originated you know and, and i'm one and i've been challenging myself to not just go to like oh 1973 and the bronx new york and like tell this like it's not like the big bang theory like this was the moment where hip-hop was born boom and after that hip-hop happened hip-hop has always been you know um uh as Talib Kweli said on the, 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 the original Black Star album, voices and drums, the, the original instruments, like the, they, they were the first instruments. So speaking over drum patterns and beats is as old as we are, you know, it's very, very old. You know, um, when I think about us as, as young ones in, in the cafeteria and somebody's making beats on the, on the, the lunchroom table or they got the pencil, you know, the dudes who really got nice with it, it was, you know, <laughs> that whole thing. And so I feel like it's, it's one of those things where it connects with us deeply because it's so much a part of who we have always been that when, not when, but as hip hop evolved in the different forms that we've encountered it over the years, there are certain pieces of music that you hear it and you like it, it instead of hearing it and saying like wow that's really nice you hear it and it's almost like where have you been all my life you know what i'm saying like <laughs> this is this is mine the first time i ever heard um no rapper can rap quite like i can i take a muscle bound man and put his face in this like you hear certain lyrics and you like or certain sounds you're like man this is this is me this is this is me, you know, uh, you know, Kevon. I was sitting with the Fitzgeralds on their porch on Costner and Jackson. The first time, you know, we're sitting there, and as this was typical of us, and in that time, we we go who, you know, we walking around K Town, talking to girls, and just hanging out and being the fellows. And the the evening is winding down, and we're sitting on the porch. And the drop top is moving westbound down Jackson. And the first time I ever heard the voice of Biggie Smalls, you know what I'm saying? And it was juicy and it was thumping in a drop top, some candy paint, you know, old school. And my jaw is literally dropped. I'm like, yo, like you could have thought, I, you would have thought I was like maybe met Malcolm X or something. Like, I don't know. I was just sitting there like, <laughs> I was like, yo, like my life is forever changed. I said, what is that? What is this? Who is this? And Marcel was like, that's the notorious B.I.G. That's what he told me. <laughs> Just before, before we would even say Biggie, he was like, that's, that's the notorious B.I.G. I was like, who is that? And I was like, yo, it was all a dream. I was like, man, I'm forever changed. You know, I'm forever changed. So the, the idea of embracing uh, or tapping into that essence and beyond just music, 
living a lifestyle where we, we live through that essence of infinite creativity that connects with us deeply at the core, that idea of no matter what my lot in life is, I'm gonna express myself and be bold and be proud and be swaggy. Uh, that idea that I'm gonna take the nothing that I have around me and make something remarkable, you know, which I love about sampling. You know, like you think about the fact that our the 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 early hip hoppers that we know, you know, they didn't they couldn't afford no band, but they wanted that band sound. So guess who band they using? The James Brown's band. I'm using the best band. I'm a sample the best of the best musicians, and my album gonna you know I can't afford these dudes. I don't I can't do that. But guess what I can do? Chop up that, <laughs> chop up that <laughs> record. <laughs> oh, yeah. your bass player is now my bass player. Guess what? You know, your drummer is now my drummer. And so um, the fact that it it pays homage to those who were the have-nots, man. They were the, we were the have-nots. And we figured out ways to flip the little that we did have access to into something beautiful. And now in this day and age for hip hop to like command attention like it does, it's a forever victory story. So, you know, to be connected to it and to always come back to it, it just reminds me of our collective victory, our collective power. Um, you know, I remember when we were break dancing and I was a little kid, man, watching teenagers break dance and people saying, oh, this is just a fad and all that, you know, this is this thing that's gonna at some point kind of fade away. But all these years later, man, all these years later, and it's just continuing to grow and evolve. So it's beautiful. You just got my brain spinning because like hip hop has always been important to me. And I know all of us can recognize the dope rhyme or, you know, like a breaker, like doing a dope move or even dope graffiti. I mean, it's hilarious that you brought up James Brown because I was listening to um, Talib's um, podcast. I've been catching up with it lately and he had Busta Rhymes on there and Busta Rhymes was even admitting that he was trying to be James Brown like in every type of way that he delivered it. So it's mm. like when James Brown at that time and I'm not like the best like James Brown historian, like he was doing hip hop. No one was calling it hip hop, right? But it's basically like it was there in existence mm -hmm. and like, there's so many connections, but to fast forward to what you just said a moment ago about like, like making a uh, an instrumental album to like almost make it seem like when, when you're saying that uh, Yasin Bey quote about like hip hop can just exist right without even rhymes being there, you know what I mean? It's like like for me that there's layers to that. It's so so profound. Like hip hop is hip hop. It doesn't necessarily you don't have to be like okay, I'm a rapper, and then now. I'm a producer now. You don't have to like go through all these challenges. It's like you can just be in the state of hip hop because you know that's just this is all you know. No, but you know what you you just mentioned graffiti. That I mean that's that's a classic example. You can't hear graffiti, but when you see it, it commands your attention. It's it'll it'll grip you, man. Like you see some dope tags, you're just sitting there and you're just like riding through a community. And you're being impacted by hip hop from a visual sense. No sound involved, but it's hip hop. It's as raw as hip hop. It's it's like, yo, I'm finished. This is my wall now, punk. You know, like <laughs> this 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 is an establishment that you don't even welcome me in. But okay, you know, I, I'm about to put my art on it. 
you know, for the, the trains to bomb a train and you see these trains moving through the whole country. Like, yo, like a train is, yeah. is going through Omaha, Nebraska, and it's carrying the spirit of a gutter, one of the, <laughs> the most urban gutters. It's like, yeah, I'm coming through Omaha on y'all right now, you know? Like, it's beautiful, man. It's like just the, our refusal to be silent and just to express ourselves. The first time you saw Chris Krauss rocking their pants backwards and how revolutionary that was, how defiant, like, and again, growing up in the context where we're being marginalized, we're being literally targeted, hunted by others, by our own, you know, to, to take a stand and say, I'm, I'm in charge here. You tell me to wear my hat to the straight, I'm rocking it to the hard to the left or to the back. My pants, I'm turning them around. My shoes, I ain't tying them. You know, like, it's like... <laughs> constant constant like taking power i'm taking this power and man i i needed that so many times in my life i needed that power that it gave me you know like you know at times where this this world as a black man would just make me feel weak you know or just have you feeling like even in your strongest day it's still not good enough but then hip hop comes along and it, it just reminds you like, no, you, you're dope. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're, dope, you're dope in ways that this world doesn't even understand yet. And you think about the fact that, you know, before the industry figured out how to monetize it, we were already, we were just running, it was just running and it was evolving without somebody you know, without the machine shaping it. It was just ghetto kids, kids from the hood. Like this was born from kids from the hood. Like some of the most amazing things that our society knows about today came out of the hood. I think that's, I think that's beautiful. You know, when people start to try to talk like they're cool or they know what's going on in life, they're literally imitating you know, the the young people who come from some of the most, you know, difficult conditions. I just think that's amazing. Like I, I listen to certain albums and I just actually like say like, man, a 19 year old kid wrote these, <laughs> a 19 year old kid wrote these poems. Like these poems that like some of your most trained poets could never touch a 19-year-old kid who barely finished ninth grade wrote these eloquent poems that are so colorful and so multidimensional will last the test of time. You know, some of the best orators could never even quote this with this cadence. And some freaking 19-year-old kid from the, the hood wrote these, wrote these poems. You know, it's just like, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. I'm looking at your head, Jay. I'm just like, man, think about lyrics that came out of Staten Island, New York, like these housing projects. And these young dudes are writing, writing this poetry. How? You know, but the answer to that is, it's like, it's a, it's a dopeness that cannot be contained. It's, it, it catches fire and 
then it inspires, it's like it, it, it catches fire and inspires somebody else to get involved. And we study it quickly and we figure our own style, our own way to express ourselves. And then it's just taking off, man. Swept the entire globe just like that. It's amazing, man. You think about it, like the other day I was watching, uh, I was watching old videos, right? I stumbled up on uh, the Sprite commercials. You remember the Voltron uh, Sprite commercials from back in the day? And I remember how happy I was every time you see one part of the Voltron set, you know, they had five parts to it. You know, my favorite part was when we did the Red Lion. That was Common Sense. So when Common Sense basically inside the Red Lion, you know, you grew up in the Voltron, you grew up with robots, we had Transformers, we had G.I. Joe. When you saw Common spitting inside the Red Lion, basically, and just going crazy, and then, you know, you know, he's like, he from Chicago, you know, this is one of our people, man. You know, he was just flaming, man. You know, and Common, Common showed up, you know, the rest of the scene, hip-hop scene knew who Common was, but the whole country didn't know who Common Sense was at that point. So that's what made it so nice, if you think about it. And then they finished up with Africa Bambada, destroys it on the last commercial. And you're like, what is this? You, had, you, you know, it started off as Goody Mob, it went to Common, you had Fed Joe in the middle, then Africa Bambada comes and closes out the show. And you're like, he's like, he's the black lion. You're like, this is crazy, but... Hip-hop's evolution, man, you know, it makes you, you know, every time you listen to a song, you go hoop or something, and you hear that song in your head, you're out there killing people. Because you hear it in the background of your head, you duck on somebody, you scream like Buster at somebody or somebody, because that's hip-hop's uh, pretty much in your soul at that point. Yeah. And you only get that feeling, man, so often. Like, you know, somebody asks me, like, what is it like when you're good at something? When you're good at something or you're in that zone, and you know, that's what that's why I looked at your album. Your album, I looked at it like he was in the zone. He was on, he was on a different planet, you know. And when you as an artist, a hooper, or whatever, you on that different plane, man. You reach that level, and you look around that studio, and you're probably like, man, I'm running everybody in the studio right now. And you know, and that's how I, that's how I imagined when you were making the wrong turn. I'm like, this dude was a, this dude was in his own world. He was in the studio, he talking to people, but he ain't hearing them. He like, this is what I get. It's gonna be hot. This is fire right now. Nah, dude, that's, I appreciate that. I also acknowledge that we have to, um, and, and this kind of dovetails all the way back to what we were saying about um, Black Star's new album. There is a responsibility to, you know, authentically express ourselves and where we are right now, but we also owe it to our listeners, uh, those who enjoy the art to give them something to reach towards, you know, or something that might be connected enough to what we are accustomed to, but that pushes us a little bit further. That's how the art form grows. You know, like the first time you hear a certain rhyme scheme or a type of way of approaching a beat, you know, as, a, as an MC, it's like, wow, I never heard anybody rap like this before. And that, that's healthy. Like, even if you don't like it, it's healthy that you experience it because it's literally opening up your mind to what the possibilities are. So one of the things that I was just like, you know, it, you could get a little self-conscious as a, you know, somebody who's creating an instrumental album about like, man, this don't sound like Timberland. So would they appreciate it? Or this don't sound like somebody else. Or, you know, like there's a certain standard for like hip hop beats, right? Mm -hmm. So then you can get out in your head about that. But then it's like, no, I actually need to respect those who are listening 
and respect the fact that we are way more dynamic than, um, you know, the, the type of listeners or uh, art appreciators who only can appreciate one type of art. So um, even with Wrong Turn, the way that I, the song that I sampled, first of all, is like the way that I even filtered that sound to get that really dark, spread out kind of a sound. It was an ex purely an experiment. You know, a lot of the stuff, I don't even be knowing what I'm doing. I'm just testing out different things. And when I heard it and I saw how it felt, I was like, yeah, I got to keep it like this. You know, there's so much that I could do to try to like make it align with what I've heard before or what I think might, you know, quickly connect with people. But the, the vibe right here is something that I think deserves to be heard. And I just left it right there. So, and, and again, the list goes on. It's a lot of things that I tried at some point and stumbled upon. And, you know, a, a lot of times I, I don't just go with what my ears tell me, but what like, what the vibe is, you know, like how does it actually feel? And is that feeling right? And when I feel like, yeah, this is it. This is, this is the feeling that I was looking for. I try to just stop right there and stop tampering with it. So with beat making, you could always add something. Yeah, this could work. This could work. I could do this. I could add this. I could add that. But at some point, it's just like busyness. And it's like, you didn't even have to do all of that. Just, you know, find that pocket and hang out right there. So you were name dropping um, Timbaland. And, you know, we obviously grew up with a lot of the, the hip hop, like, cachet producers and I, I, I do want to ask you sort of like the cheesy like interview question, like what are some of the producers that you you liked and loved? But before you kind of answer that, like I also know you probably weren't going for those sounds of those producers that you like either anyway, because like you just totally admitted like hip hop is just an expression of yourself or where you where you're at at that place in time. So mm -hmm. um, I, I just I'm just curious. Um, you know, from an outsider perspective that, that might know, not, not know a lot of these producers, like, is there any that you sort of like um, looked up to um, coming up or, you know, kind of like return to sound-wise as far as like listening to and what have you? Yeah, I have to say that my, my first answer probably is and <laughs> forever will be James DeWitt Yancey, uh, Jay Dilla. Uh, that's the first name. That's the first name that I got for you, man. Like, and I feel like it might be 80 years from now and I'll be on the same thing. Uh, I have to admit that I've been heavily inspired by his story, his legacy lately, because uh, I just read uh, Dan Carnes' book, uh, Dilla Time. And I literally finished it. I was reading it while I was working on Wrong Turn. So heavily inspired by Dilla. Now, let me be clear. Um, the interesting thing about Dilla is like, if you listen to his music over the course of his career, his young, his like young career, short career, if you ask me, uh, while impactful, it was, it's, it's like, there's a period of time that he was really getting busy. But man, his sound evolved a number of times throughout his career. And so while there are certain things that are like Dilla, this is like a signature Dilla sound, I think Dilla, over, the, over his collective body of work has a lot of different sounds and vibes. But there's one thing that I think is, you know, 
quintessential Dilla, it is his bravery, his, his willingness to say, I know what y'all called dope, but did you ever think about this? You know, or I know you would hear this song and you would think, who could ever make a dope hip hop record out of that throwaway song or that beat? And he's like, pass me that record. You know, I feel like Dilla was the master of, he could make anything sound funky and dope, even if it was somewhat weird or different. It's like, man, how do you still make this? How do you still come back to the same place of just being like, ooh, like, wow. You know, like, I feel like he just mastered that. But just how brave he was as an artist to, as a creative, to just say, like, I'm pushing everything off the table. Like, if you put it on the table and tell me it's a boundary, I'm pushing that. Like, I'm doing something different. I'm you know, and, and that's not to say that he was just like completely like abstract and just stumbling upon dopeness, like highly skilled, highly trained. Like he, I feel like he also knew the science behind um, what made us respond. And so um, here's another kind of theoretical drop. Uh, a lot of people don't talk about this, but, you know, Dilla is from Detroit, you know, um, from a young age. And I learned a lot more about this from reading that book, but from a young age, he was DJing. So since he was like a toddler, he used to play records. Like they, he was like, like five or six years old, they would go to parties because his dad used to buy him 45s. He had like his own little record collection. And he enjoyed, from a kid, he enjoyed when they would have family gatherings, just spinning records. And that was his hustle. Later on, like he started to do parties in elementary school or at the church or in the high school, he was like the DJ. And then the other piece was uh, just like Chicago had the house music scene you know, Detroit had a whole techno scene and very similar in the sense that it's like what house was to Chicago and techno was to Detroit, hip hop was in New York. This was young people rebelling against what was happening in popular music or on the radio, everything going from soul to like straight, you know, pop and disco. And there was this rep rebellion, but we started to create our own art forms, our own ways of expressing ourselves. But dance was always a major component of that, you know? And so um, in Detroit, you had a dance style called Jitty. And it was almost like Chicago footwork. It's a whole culture. People who, would they, they jit. That's the name of the dance style. They, they jit. And it's like kind of a foot footwork kind of thing. And it's like the feet are moving like this and they do different things. They drop down and come up and dance some more. So Dilla was, he was a part of the JIT community. Like he, so again, in the Chicago context, it'll be like Dilla could footwork, you know? You <laughs> <laughs> could get down, you could dance. So I think that, that those two dynamics are two dynamics that are under emphasized about him as a producer and a, as an MC. You're, you're later making hip hop art, you're producing beats and you got these lyrics 
and a cadence that is so rhythmic, right? Like he spit like a drummer, like his cadences were like a part of the beat, you know? That was just kind of like what made Slum Village so different because when you listen to them rap, it was like the way that they delivered the lyrics across each song, they were so conscious of how their verbal delivery aligned with the, the cadence of the beat. So it's like their voice was another layer of drums. So, um, but about Dilla and about his uh, music making ability, we don't talk about enough how his experience from a young age as a DJ and his experience in his you know, youth as a dancer, part of the dance community, gave him front row seats or firsthand knowledge when he was creating beats about what would make him want to move his body. It, it's beyond how it sounds. It is what does this music make you feel like? And as somebody who knows firsthand what it means to create, to, to, to feel a beat and it's like you want to start dancing, now you're producing, you have that knowledge of like, man, when the beat hits you like that, you're in the lab and you're working on beats, you can tap into that. So you're creating the beat and it comes to a point where you're like, yo, like I'm feeling this. I want to, I want to get up from my workstation right now and dance. Now you know you got something because you're tapping into that. But people don't think about that. Like, do you have the musical sense to know when it hits that, that spot in the soul where you your body is not thinking, it's just like you just want to move. And as a producer, if you're able to tap into that, you got something because people are responding to it without even understanding why. And that's what James Brown had, you know? James Brown had that. They say he would jam on the one, man, he understood the science. Like, people are gonna dance to this, <laughs> you know? When this album, when they put this album on, you're gonna see some people dancing. They're not gonna wanna stop dancing. And it just, you know, that's what it was, man. Uh, you're right about that. I mean, I think about, you know, you, you got me thinking about Dilla a lot right now. I remember the first time I heard Running off Far Side, and I was like, who did this beat? So then you, know, you listen to it. I mean, you know, man, Running is like therapeutic almost. You listen to that track. I mean, Dilla, Dilla, Dilla did something with that track. Which you know, if you listen to it without you know without the far side on there, even use the instrumental on it. The first time, like you know, I was listening to Dilla instrumentals and you know, and running. I always knew it was a Dilla track, but hit an instrumental without the words. It goes right back to how, you know how how your album is. You know, you listen to it, and you go like all these different visuals of like what could be going on here. Basically, I mean, he he was soulful, man. I mean, I miss that dude a lot. You know, from the from the production side of the house. To be honest with you. Many have tried, but many have felt in that situation to read, to read, to capture that element in hip hop. I mean, you know, hip hop, you know, you're right. Once it went mainstream and it became everybody's music, the quality got better. It, you know, it spawned other artists and everything. But man, I could, I totally agree with you on Jay, on Dilla in the situation. I mean, it's, man, you know, you don't realize how much he did for hip hop out of Detroit. And, you know, and everybody thought, like, you know, this guy got to be from Brooklyn or somewhere. No, he's from Detroit. 
And that's what really blew people's mind or whatever in that situation. Get an artist out of Detroit. You know, you think about right now, right now it's Danny Lee. You know, it's Adderall and all that stuff coming out of there. And then you had Dilla up there. And, you know, during that time period, I mean, it's it's amazing, man. And the fact that that's one of your inspirations, it, you know, I can really see it. But at the same time, you put your own spin on it. You know, it's, you know, it's not Dilla like, you know, it's, it's Jay Ferg like. So, you know, it's a whole different brand if you think about it. It's a whole different vibe, but the vibe is awesome. I man, that's 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 an honor. That's an honor. And like I said, like I heard him say that too. He he mentioned in an interview once that he was very inspired by Pete Rock. And so it was times where he would hear stuff that Pete Rock worked on, and he was like, I would get so inspired by hearing this new Pete Rock music that he would rush to the studio to want to create his own music. And he was like, not at all trying to sound like Pete Rock, but it was like he wanted to sound like himself, but he wanted to harness that inspiration and create his own sound, you know? And so that's how I feel about Dilla. Like sometimes I just flip through stuff and, you know, just thinking back to our college days before I knew who Jay Dilla was, you know, I just kept hearing these various songs just popping up. I used to just feel like, what is so different about this particular song that's hitting me like it's, it's something that's different. And I remember Anthony Partee, he was like, he, he had described, uh, he described Dilla's sound as uh, particularly how Dilla would uh, program his bass. He was like, it's these almost beats. That's what he used to call it. This is like, I'm talking about 99, 98, 99. Like I think we were in, in Newsville or something like that. And he was like, man, it's something about these almost beats. And so if I can explain what he was talking about, because when he said it, when he when he first said it to me, I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, it was like the perfect description because the bass would lag behind the drums in a way that we had never up until that point. We had never heard that before. So if you I think a perfect example of it is if you listen to a Tribe Called Quest, Find A Way. Yeah. And so um, you listen to that song and you listen to how the bass is programmed on that song. It was so revolutionary to us that it impacted us without even having the music, musical vocabulary to ex exactly explain what was happening. We just were impacted by it. So the beat is like, you know, dun, dun. now you come up for the evening. It's moving like this, right? And so naturally, you kind of hit the heart up, help me find my way. Doom, 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 doom. It's like the, the bass was like lagging behind the drum pattern and it created such a funky vibe. And it's like, till this day, and I just saw it on the screen when I started to just even kind of beatbox it a little bit everybody was bobbing because you could feel it. It's a feeling. That's the whole point. So you got, you got producers who are going off of the vibe of like, how does this sound? And Dylan was like, no, how does this feel? Is it funky? Is it soulful? And um, again, before I knew exactly who he was, I would hear another song, then another song. I'm just like, man, there's a common thread here. You listen to Beast Rhymes in Life by a Tribe Called Quest. Mm -hmm. all over that album. Yep. All over that album. You listen to Wordplay, a super simple beat. I, I encourage you right now, put, 
put wordplay as like one of your one of the next songs that you listen to. And I want you to specifically, like you have to try this. Just try it. Try to listen to wordplay like a mathematician. And what I want you to do is listen to it and be very honest and ask yourself, are these beats perfectly lining up? Or is something a little sloppy in here? The reality is when Dilla was programming the drums for wordplay, the beats are intentionally sloppy. And when I first heard it, I never noticed it. I noticed how, how the, the way that the, the beat moved, how it made me feel, but it wasn't until much later that I realized why it made me feel like that. It's because he was completely changing how we, we thought about musical time, which is why this book, Dilla Time, uh, was so dope, you know, and I have to shout out the book, such a dope, such a dope read and it explained like what he was actually doing, you know, with all of that music. He was, he was, he was messing us up, man, giving us different ways to, to conceive time and um, go from music just sounding good to us, but feeling like that old feeling. Um, one last example is like, um, man, <laughs> you think about just the little things he would do, like, layering clap sounds, you know, instead of having a set a snare, it'll be like the loudest, most rambunctious clap. <laughs> it's like so disruptive, you know, just like all in your face with it. And it's not clean. It sounds like the wettest clap in the world. Like these must be some big fat mechanic hands <laughs> that got, <laughs> that got <laughs> olive oil all on them or something. It's just like flash. It's like a, a splash more than just a clap. And if you dissect these beats, he would, where his predecessors may have just had like a very clean clap that lines right up with the, with the two and the four on the four count, you know, he would spread these claps out so that it's like slightly before the two, there's one on the two, one after the two, slightly before, like it, it's just like breaking all of these so-called so rules and it, uh, it constantly pushed our, our limit of like what dope actually means. So I know I said a lot, but I can get real passionate about that and nerd out about it. The, the bottom line is that his approach to music is what inspires me the most, um, you know, and, and all of the different styles that he got involved with across his career. You listen to Donuts and uh, what he did on that album. You know, you just listen to what he did on that album. Man, he put every producer to shame, man. He just clowned. He stunned it on everybody. And, you know, God rest his soul literally on his deathbed, stunned it on everybody. Like, I bet y'all can't do this. Try it, and it did. And and one thing that people also don't know about Dilla, he was a he was still a pretty analog dude. Like even later on, he he would probably be classified as somebody who never really came fully into the digital age. He started to kind of get into that, but like he was still doing some stuff like the most <laughs> analog way that you could possibly do it, and his sound was still smacking everybody. So now I'm glad you brought up I'm glad you brought up JD 
-hmm. you know um the quintessential song i think about is um calm and the light and i mean there's a lot of um slappers and bangers that you can bring up about dilla but that's not what i always think about i always think about the mythical creature of dilla like everyone just talks about him like he's a god and just like as a kid you know he just locked himself in the basement just to train himself to produce and i'm pretty sure the book probably talked about a lot about this like i guess his his mom was an opera singer and his dad was like a, a jazz bassist i mean the the dilla mythology kind of goes pretty deep even that buster ryan's podcast i was talking about on, on tillive's pod like he, he admitted that he tries to have a, a Dilla beat on every album that he had when he could get it, you know, when he can get his hands on one. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know what this book also does is it, it, it humanizes him. What I love about Dilla is he was a, a Midwestern Detroit dude. Like at, when it was all said and done, Dilla was in the strip club. He had a chain that swung <laughs> low, <laughs> rocking fitted caps. Like he he... He was all into like the hip hop stuff, but Dilla was so well-rounded, if you will, as just a human. You know, he was still yes. just a, a regular person. And like you said, we he, he becomes this legend, this mythical creature. But man, you listen to you listen to his homies tell Dilla stories. You're like, yeah, I went to Detroit. We worked on some music. We went to get something to eat. Then we went to the strip club. Like Dilla no. stayed in the strip. But you know what he used to do? Again, sleep, sleeping on, sleeping on his ear for music that made people move. They say Dilla used to take beats that they just worked on, music that they just worked on in the lab. They would take it to the strip club or take it to the club, and he would walk straight up to the DJ like, "Yo, throw this song," and he would try it out live and direct. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, the homies that just flew in town getting a lap dance to a beat you just produced. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like man, you, I just watched you cook up this beat. Now, Coco, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean. Coco showing again, her donuts well, off. Right, exactly. But you know what, though? Again, his affinity for dance, his affinity for movement. That's, uh, we don't we don't celebrate that enough, man. Like all the way back to the essence, you go all the way back to the continent of Africa. All wherever people of color have been, man, we move. Music music is synonymous with movement, and hip hop has gotten so cool over the years. You know, we want to lean back, <laughs> ain't nobody dancing. But y'all know how this thing started, man. We would be breaking a sweat. You move furniture. Cause the videos were coming on, you know, like I'm about to, <laughs> to get loose. I don't know what y'all came to do, but it's hammer time up in here. You know, like we dancing. Do, 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 do. I mean, it's time to dance. There's so many dances. And you look at those old videos, we were moving. And what made the music so captivating was everything that the music commanded, you know, everything kind of, you know, fell in line with the, the sound and the vibe and it just all made, it all made sense and harmony. It, yeah, like it, it takes me into, um, you know, you talk about the harmony, you know, I was watching that drop video, Far Side. Did you know that they knew, did you know that they rapped that song backwards? They learned how to rap drop backwards. So the crazy thing about it is 
that song morphs like two or three different times you listen to drop. And you talk about the analog movement with Dilla, that song very analog, but it like it drags the same way you think about every, a lot of Dilla songs. The beat is uh fanatic because it drags, it drops, it's like clay. It's like warm clay or something like that. Like he's molding the beat basically, but he's he's breaking all the rules pretty much why he's giving you this beat. Because you know, most artists always say, like, you know, the beat should be set up this way. He threw that out the, out the window when far size dropped. Watch the video again, you guys get a moment. I know, like, I didn't realize what he was doing to us. You're right about that. He was messing with our heads because you're trying to find that rhythm on that song. You're like, but it's lazy, it's slow, and it's reverse. And, you know, on far side, you know, I was watching, uh, they're, make, they're making the drop. They were talking about they learned how to rap it backwards. And I'm like, what do you mean rap it backwards? You know, and everybody's like, you know, Spike Jones did that video. And it's, it's, it's nice to watch and reflect on how they actually got the drop. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. It's crazy, I, mean, yeah. I mean, and that was strip club music. You think about drop. You know, he talked about the inspiration. I know about the strip club Dilla. I mean, that's a whole different beast. But mm-hmm. that's what he did. He took the music out. He played it for people. You know, ladies dance to it. Guys dance to it. I mean, he made stuff that is timeless. It can be played in any era of hip-hop right now. You can sample Dilla. Which a lot of artists do. Yeah, he did it. You think mm-hmm. about uh, you think about Farside, you think about uh Slum V. I remember seeing those guys in concert. Just incredible, man. Yeah. You see them, you know what I mean? Jurassic, you know, Jurassic Five, remember them? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of groups that spawned out of that, that that whole Detroit collective when you think about it. No, for sure. He influenced so many, man. Like so many people were influenced by him and inspired by him. Um and we don't even have to talk about him as an MC, man. He's you listen to some of his verses and not just his lyrical content, because you know, he also had a persona in the booth. Like he people who know him, like in real life, he's a pretty mellow dude. He's really quiet and somewhat shy. They would even describe him as kind of being shy. But when he rapped, bro, he just become like <laughs> you know, the, the street, the street dude, you know, like that bravado kind of comes out and the swag is just different, but it still has a, it's funny because it's like, I think Nas has that effect too, where it's like, yeah, he could be talking about street stuff, but you could still hear a certain spirituality and hope and uh, like reasonableness. It's like not somebody who's like just out here purposefully trying to wild out. He's he's kind of reflecting the time and reflecting himself and and the environment that he's in, but he still sounds like somebody that you you could sit down and have a conversation with, which is, you know, one, one of the things that I really appreciate about Nas as an MC is like, he could tell you about the darkest aspects of our communities and all this kind of thing. But he also is like, uh, almost like a prophet in, in terms of how he occupies a certain space of like being wise, like the wise one among us, you know what I mean? Like he's in my top three of all time, for sure. In my, my top three favorite, I would say, uh, you know, uh, in terms of MCs, I, I, I've been trying to get out of saying like the greatest, because I, I don't, I think that's so relative, you know, I do have a top three favorite MCs, but I wouldn't necessarily say that they're the top, they're the greatest, if you will. So that's very well, arguable. Let's let's shift gears a little bit because I know we're running a little low on time. But before we hit record, we were sort of talking about 
the K Dot album. And, you know, Jay, when you're bringing up Nas, like, I, I think about, you know, like Kendrick as an artist, like how he sort of like leans into the pain. And there's a lot to it. So, um, my guy was actually texting me just today um, about like, he's like, hey man, what you feel about, how you feel about that Kendrick album? I was like saying, man, I, th I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. And he's basically telling me, I fucks with it. I'm halfway through it and feeling a lot of the feelings. It's really stripped down. It's definitely organic. The energy is really unsettling at times, but I still fucks with it. Need to get through it though. Got me a bit stressed. So it's like, I feel like, you know, that there is no, how to put it, like cookie cutter sound that Kendrick wants to kind of like throw out there. Cause he could probably throw out a track a week or a day and just, you know, like make, you know, make bank off it. But it's like, I almost applaud like how methodical he is with it. And with this new album just dropping like days ago, like I admit it too, like the nerd part of me loves it, but I always like to get into that dark space of hip hop too, where it almost kind of like shines a light on it too. So it's like, can you say a word or two about like, just in general, like, I don't know, the, the magic of hip hop being able to kind of like cast cast light on, you know, the shadow or, you know, those that are kind of othered and what have you. Yeah, no, I think, um, I think I had a similar reaction as your homie. You know, I, I enjoyed the, the album creatively and musically, but it was so disruptive. You know, like my listening experience was like, it was disruptive and I was listening to it. I'm just like, he just puts so much emotion right in your face and just like, he just forces you to deal with it. You know, it's like, it's, and I think it's intentionally disruptive. He's like, I'm not here to play nice. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to deal with these issues. And he actually even said it at some point, like, perhaps through me, we can actually get on with our collective healing. You know, he talked about that. And man, we have to salute, we have to salute that brother for, for just being willing to put his himself and his artistry on, on, on the forefront like that, because at his stature, he could take, you know, the money route and just do what's gonna sell and whatever and just bang, but he's still giving us raw art. And that's, I think that's commendable. You know, I think that, you know, Kendrick goes within himself. And I listened back to Good City Mad Kid recently because I didn't know Kendrick early on. Like I stumbled upon him and learned more about him. I think Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe was one of the first songs that I was just like, who is this? You know, like I just started, it just started to kind of like, my, my awareness of him started to like roll up, you know, like at some point I'm just like, oh, that's who this is. And, and it doesn't help that he'd be switching his voice so many times. It's like, I probably, I didn't know that was Kendrick Lamar. Like I, I heard him on another song, he didn't sound anything like this, you know? So uh, because of that, it just kind of took me a while to, to, to learn him. But um, even going back to just how he tells stories and how he kind of has this ability to like, take an album and make a theme out of it. And there's like a, uh, a through line from the whole project, the story that starts and then it stops and then he raps and then and boom. It's like this whole movie, he <laughs> really like, um, I think that's brilliant. And I think that um, 
the way that he tells stories, he almost reflects the voice of a people. I don't, I wouldn't say the people, but a people. Uh, I, during my time living in LA, I was in um, LA for like eight years from 2013 to 21 or so. And um, I got a chance to spend some time in Compton, actually on two occasions, um, Kendrick's High School, which is Centennial High School in Compton, uh, in Bompton, because it's, they wear red, <laughs> they wear red over there. I learned. Um, uh, I was doing a music workshop at Centennial. I didn't know Kendrick went there. I actually was just like, yo, I want to give back to the youth. I looked up uh, best marching band in LA and Centennial High School popped up and I reached out to Manny, uh, Manuel, who's the music teacher. I was like, yo, my name is Jason Ferg. I'm from the Shy. I'm interested in just working with young people. I would talk about hip hop or whatever. He was like, yeah, we could put together a workshop. You can come and talk to, my, to the students here. And so when I got there, I was like, he was giving me the history. He was like, yeah, Dr. Dre graduated from here. Kendrick Lamar went here. I was like, crazy, right? Um, and then also I worked for a nonprofit organization that operated out of Compton. So I, I've had a chance to spend some time in Compton while I was out there. And from what I learned of just being that close to the to the to the that part of LA or Compton is its own city. Uh, true story. I was at an event and there was a, a, a friend of mine who I heard approach the microphone and she was like, "Yo, this is my first time doing the show out here in LA." It's like, "But you from Compton? That's just like down the street." Like, <laughs> but and so I'm saying that to say that some people who are from Compton, like they stay in Compton, like it's his own thing, it's his own city. Uh, all that being said, when you listen to Kendrick, man, he represents Compton. Like <laughs> these stories are so raw, so real from that perspective. And, you know, I think he does it uh, better than a lot in terms of just like getting to the heart of what his experiences were, but telling those stories in a way that, you know, speaks on behalf of so many other people, which is why we end up like literally considering him like a brother. You know, because it's just like, man, he he's speaking for me right now. Uh, I I agree, man. Like, you know, you think about, you know, you talk about the whole spirit of Compton and you think you get into the production in that situation. <clears throat> I mean, one of the things that's so amazing is that, you know, you think about Thundercat, you think about Soundwave, you think about that whole that whole vibe. And these are guys from they're from the LA area, but they ain't from Compton, you know. They they are around Compton, like TD, you know, the group that the, the group that basically the production house for, you know, for him for so long before he switched up to the to the new. You know, he got his own new uh, production house. It's amazing that man they were able to break bread like that. And he's able to go his own direction sound wise. There's no hard feelings because you know back in the day when an artist left a certain production company, you know, Death Row. I'm gonna say a certain company. You know, there was consequences. This guy was able to go do his own thing and still keep the respect from the, the former the former production house at this point in time. Because, you know, Soundwave, they did a lot of stuff together. Pharrell was on a lot of that stuff, too. You like to listen to All Right. That's Pharrell in the background. You know, and I'm like, I'm like, is that Kendrick? Like you said, like, I can't figure out if that's Kendrick or somebody else. But that's uh, that's Pharrell in the background on All Right talking. And you're like, is that him? Yeah, I mean it, it's it's masterful production and everything like that. You know, 
I think, you know, with Kendrick, I think the thing is he brings that community to like the forefront. And then the fact that you get all this great sound or whatever, he still kept confident in his music, but everything else around him basically grew out of that situation. You know, you got the family members, you got baby Keem and everybody. So everybody has that ruggedness about them, but they they could rap on anything, which is crazy at this point. Yeah, he's so they versatile. just flow. Yeah, yeah, he's so versatile, man. As an artist, he he can cover so much ground. And he's so musical, man. Like mm-hmm. you listen to the concepts in some of these out, even like with, with all right, like mm-hmm. anybody who knows music will literally hear from the very beginning of that song the jazz in that song. Mm-hmm. Da, da, da. those chords that's like crazy these are vocal chords but like listen to those chords and it brings a chill before the, the drums even drop you get a chill when you're hearing those chords because it's just like man it's it's the chords in themselves create friction you know because it's so jazzy these are notes that on your major scale they are not necessarily supposed to go together mm-hmm. but they're, they're jamming those. Da, 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 da. It's like, and then when he comes in, all oh, my life, I, it's over. It's over. No drums even yet, you know? But then when the drums drop, it's just like, over. Everything's done at that point. It's a setup, you know what I mean? But it, it, takes, it takes a musical artist to hear those sounds and you're in the studio and they're like, yo, what you think about this? What you think about that? It's his musicality that kind of helps him be so cutting edge. You know, like you listen to this new project, the music on the project. Like, yeah, I don't know what's hot right now. We don't have to do that. We could be dope being straight musical. And you, some of his best friends are, you know, Terrace, you know, uh, you got Terrace Martin, who's an amazing horn player and producer. You know, Kumasi Washington, Robert Glasper, like these are straight up classically trained musicians. You know, and these casts are like, these are the casts that you're creating music with. Thundercat, you know, and the list just goes on. Like these artists who are like well renowned musicians that could go have a whole jazz concert somewhere, but they're helping produce your hip hop albums. And they're bringing all of that musicality to this straight up street music. And he does it like nobody's business, where he's like, this is all one world. You know, yeah, I grew up around the Bloods and the Crips and all of that, but I I like this music and this is a part of it. And I think that the way that he uniquely bridges those worlds, I think it's it's a very healthy thing, you know? You know, it's, it's some really complex music on Kendrick's albums that a lot of us, I'm sure a lot of people listen to it and they don't even realize what's happening but like i said just with all right as an example the jazz in that song is crazy those chords are just straight up jazz chords they're beautiful man they're not supposed to go together but you put them together they work absolutely you think about black panther think about what he did the black panther soundtrack you know when you watch that movie you know even with you know even with you got like you got all the different musicians playing the opening scenes, you got the fight with the child and everything like that. I mean, he created the. If you think about it, they made it so nice at that point. It's ridiculous, you know. You can't beat that. You can't beat that experience, man. It made that movie stand out. I mean, you know, even the cover of his album, you know, for Black Panther Base, you look at it, 
Kendrick Lamar was up all on the All the Stars and everything on that, just going crazy. You got Sizzle on that album. And these are all LA people. So you think about this and, and it just flow well together. I mean, Kendrick, man, you know, that's master class. That's a master class of you talk about Della, you go to Kendrick. This is like these are generate these are these are generational talents. You know, you only see a Kendrick, you see a Jay Della every 15, 20 years, you know, or you may or you might not see one for 50. Like, like Dr. Dre in his prime, serious. Yeah, I mean, you think about the chronic. Somebody today was talking about the chronic ain't top five albums. I, I paused for a minute and I go, holy, <laughs> you can't say that out loud. I mean, the chronic, if there's no there's no chronic, there's no Kendrick, if you think about that. You know, these guys all go back to Dre. Dre is the godfather of this sound. Absolutely. Yeah. And even sonically, the chronic man, it was like the first time we heard hip hop so clear, you know, like it was such a crispy sound, just uh, even in terms of the, the sonic waves, like hip hop, mm. if you go back to that time, hip hop was still really gritty. It was dirty on purpose. And then you start to hear this stuff Dre was putting out, it was so pristine, that whole West Coast sound, it was just like, what's your studio look like? What kind of equipment you using? Like, yeah. You know, you working with something different, but you know, uh, one of the things that's also not so widely spoken about is um, the importance of the evolution of and access to gear. You know, um, without the blackout of 1974 in New York, uh, I guess it was 1974 or was it 76? Uh, I don't remember, but without that particular blackout event and the, uh, I don't want to say looting, I'll say the, the, the liberating of certain uh, <laughs> equipment that we know our brothers and sisters could not afford at that time, many of them, you know, mm -hmm. we would not have had the, the booster shot of the, 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 the rapid growth of hip hop. Because all of a sudden, somebody who had these dope skills now has some like state of the art speakers and turntables and a mixer board, you know. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you find a, a kid from Compton on the West Coast who, man, taps into the whole Hollywood level production gear. And you got Dr. Dre, who is now able to take his, his, his skill set to a whole other stage because he has a he has he has access to stuff that is literally like movie quality, like the stuff that they use in the in the industry, where his competitors on the other side of the country still working with, you know, stuff that's not there. It's just not on the same level. So it's funny listening to people who say that they were working with Dr. Dre. He's like, man, the the speakers that he has in his studio, like just the control room alone, would like literally like hurt your whole body. And they be saying that like when he plays songs back for them, they just be so loud. It's like <laughs> song was about to kill me. But he, that's how he has like crazy speakers and super loud. And but um, I'll never forget that about Dr. Dre. Like man, hearing the Chronic album and then hearing that Dog Pound album, and just like this sound is pristine. This is different, different. Like. Mm -hmm. We ain't never heard nothing this clean, but still smacking and having that funk and thump to it. But it was crispy, you know? 
I mean, it is, man. Think about Compton, the Compton album. You ever listen to that Compton album, that last Dr. Dre album with Anderson Pack all over it? Oh, I my. haven't. I haven't man. even listened to it. Now that I think about Compton, it. Compton is so sharp. You know, production-wise, you know, studio studio production levels are crazy. You know, he introduces Anderson Pack again. So Anderson Pack came through. That's his, you know what? That that Compton album should be Anderson Pack's coming out album. So basically, he's almost on every track. You know, the production, you know, even when he sampled Easy's voice on one of the tracks, then you hear it and you just like you get them chills. It's not like what 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 Kanye did with the track Easy, you know, the one with Game. Now you know what? Game made that comment that you know Ye made him more relevant than Dre. And I laughed about that. You know, like you laughed, we talked about that earlier a little bit. And you go, have you heard what Dre did with Easy's voice? You know, it made you think that Easy's still in the studio with you spiritually at that point. Wow. And you know, it takes a great producer, like you know, even if you think about when you sample big or somebody or pocket at this point, to be able to use their voice, put it on the track and make it relevant, not just throwing it on there just for the sake of throwing it on there. But that Compton album, you know, when Easy's talking and he cuts into that that next that next drop, and you hear that Christmas and the way the track just smacks. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm about to go listen to that. I haven't I've never heard it. He got me on. He's, he's the reason I buy vinyl. I buy vinyl because of Dre. I buy vinyl because the chronic on vinyl, you talking about that crispiness, you can drop that needle on it. It's phenomenal, man. It, you know, yeah. you know, that's the reason why you know we were sure he's walking around headphones on playing CD players, because you know, hip hop got really, you're right, got really clean like late 90s. Yeah. Like that, probably like 93 to about 2000. Production value went up about a thousand percent. Yeah, everything yeah. sounds good. Access to technology, man, equipment, and like you know, just to see how the art form evolves over time, based upon how we're using the tools, right? And then when we get to the point where we start to be really intentional, and we say, okay, I know that there there are tools to make this really crispy, pristine style, but that's not what I'm going for. I actually like the I want this album is going to be dirty again. So I love the fact that we could be choosy now and just say like, okay, I'm going for that gritty sound and RZA. RZA is, you know, I'll be remiss to, 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 to not shout out Robert Diggs. Uh, RZA is, I think, iconic for that, too. Uh, over his career, he has some stuff that's really clean. He got some stuff that's dirtier than anything you've ever heard. You know, like, so muddy. Like, so you listen to ODB's album and some of those beats and how they're just like, it's almost like somebody played the tape and then pour water on it, you know, like <laughs> it's almost like gar garbled a little bit, you know, like a little bit of moisture on the whole sound, you know, um, and it's still got that. It, it's almost like if you heard something thumping from under the water, it's still you can hear it from underneath the water, but it's it's muffled like there's this layer of cloud over it or something. But man, just like the vibe that that evokes. You know, and another thing, too, um, if you listen to Only Built for Cuban Links, front to back, to me, that's an album, uh, apart from, apart from Ice Cream, that album, for the most part, makes me feel like wintertime. It's like Timberlands, mm -hmm. Skullcaps, it's like... It, how do you produce an album that feels like a climate? <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Ice Cream is like your summer joint on the album. But uh-huh. everything else, I feel like, man, I want a, I want baggy polo on. I want some, I want some Tim's on. I want my jeans. Like it, I just feel cold. I, I listen to the album. Like, <laughs> you know, like it, it just reminds of reminds me of like dark winter winter time, you know, when it get dark at 4:30 and it's like and you gotta get home fast pretty much gotta, or something bad happens. That's that's what it feels like to me. And I mean, the, the power of hip hop, you listen to to another album it just front to back it feel like a summertime album like it just feels sunny and like vibrant so I, I think that's just also the power of hip-hop is to like capture time and space and scenery and all of that it's like yeah so but think about it. liquid source also feels like winter think oh, about it. shoot man liquid source you think about a leather pelly pale you know somebody standing out there with the ski mask on you know yeah. Still the best, still the best cover artwork I ever seen. I had to buy that artwork. I bought the the Liquor Source album recently. Uh, it's a hologram. Mm-hmm. They did a twenty, they did a twenty fifth uh, edition. Of, you know, it came out in ninety five. So they dropped yeah. a new, they brought a, they brought a new version of Liquor Source out. Uh, no Sage, where it's like a hologram. When you flip it, it changes. So what mm-hmm. happens? Marvel went out and reanimated all the all all the all the top albums of that time period. They redid uh, LL Cool J's uh, Walking with a Panther. They redid uh, Liquid Swords. Philadelphia Half Life, right? Yeah. They redid, they redid all the covers. So they got these cool new cover spaces. They reanimated. Like, uh, they nice. But yeah, man, that Liquid Swords album and that Built for Cuban Links, it's, it's cold outside. Even on that track, it's cold outside. You like, you, you listening to this, you blowing smoke out your mouth and you ride, like, you know, if you back in the day, you're on the bus or whatever going to school. And you looking out the window, you got jizz on or something like that, and you literally watching your environment as you as these tracks drop. It's just crazy, bro. But it's so true. It's so true. Mm-hmm. It's great, yeah. great to say that we were there, man. We were yeah. there. We we were there, experiencing, living it. You know, it's the coolest thing. And we still have that music, which is the beauty of like being able to capture these things. And that's how I feel like as an artist, I'm committed to recording because these are records you know records of the fact that we were here you know uh, our children's children could go back and listen to like what we thought about you know what we had to say about things that were happening in the world or you know uh you know you listen to a song like red pill that we dropped you know and it's just like man we, we went on record and talked about these things you know and it's it's forever captured so it's a good thing, man. It's it's a powerful, it's a powerful tool. And uh, even for those who don't create music to play these records for our kids to see these album covers, for them to hear us listening to these things and teaching them about them. You know, I, I teach my daughters about a lot of hip hop. You know, I have to be careful to like not overexpose them to certain messages, obviously, but um you know, everything that I find that's wholesome that I can give them and share with them from my own music to others. And I'm just, I'm teaching it to them. You know, it's crazy. My uh, three-year-old walked in the room one day, I was just sitting down doing something at the table and she walked in and she was like, I was like, what? You beatboxing girl? Like it was crazy. And she, she, she was keeping the rhythm with it. And it turns out that it's a, it's a movie that came out um, fairly recently, like, a, I don't know if it's Disney or Pixar or whatever, but 
uh, my wife and I literally just last weekend, we discovered it because um, we pressed play on the movie and at the, in the beginning scene, the character of that movie was beatboxing just like that. And it was like, that's where she got that from. But the fact that she captured that and then like, as she would just do that from time to time, I would give her different beat patterns. We're like, try this one, try this one. So teaching her how to do certain things and, you know, but it's, it's just good, man. We could pass down our appreciation for the music and the art form to the next generation and, and inspire them to, you know, carry the torch, keep it, keep it going. Well, speaking of keeping the, keeping it going and, um, uh, you know, passing the torch on, you you were um, telling us before we hit record that you're gonna spit some uh, some some lyrics that you were working on. I know I know you've been making uh, the beats lately, but what, what what type of gems were you trying to drop on us just a moment ago? Oh man, no, I was I was just talking about how man I feel like we we're, we're coming into this space where we right. just need to take ownership of our narrative to the, take the ownership of our narrative to the next level, and I sometimes just get tired of us you know, defaulting to, you know, classifying ourselves as niggas and everything that comes along with that. You know, I saw a video of these brothers in the Nation of Islam, and I think they may have been like in Philly or Baltimore, just like the scenery kind of made me feel like either Baltimore or Philly in terms of like the backdrop. They were literally in the neighborhood on the, on the street and they, you know, were doing some drills like right face, left face, you know, doing kind of showing their discipline and their organizational skills and then um the guy that was kind of leading them was like man that's why we call our brothers brother you know because you don't kill your brother you know he was kind of like dropping this this knowledge on the, the folks that were standing out there he was like it's easy to kill niggas you know they're not they're not who you are they're they're separated from you but he was like you don't kill your brother that's why we call each other brothers and he was just dropping his science and i'm just like yo it's so true you know, what we said we were doing was reclaiming this word so that it wouldn't have the same sting. And it was this term of endearment, like, yo, that's my nigga. You listen to the music today, that's not what we're doing, Joe. Like, that's just not what we're doing. We're being we're being very destructive with it. And it's um it's just shaping how we engage with one another. So recently, you know, I've been thinking about that whole concept and I just started to put some thoughts down around the fact that there ain't no niggas, you know? Uh, so uh, I don't want to give this away by like talking about it or trying to recite it with the same cadence that you will soon hear recorded, but I'll just share it almost like a poem. And it says, um, so what if I verbalized that there were no niggas, but misrepresented deeply afflicted figures, those who continue living through the deadliest conditions the scariest of missions, our American existence. Survival of the fittest, proof, pure evidence with heaven sent, every nigga references negligence. A misplaced slap in the face, this black doesn't erase, matter of fact, it is covered in grace. Covered like a loving mother's embrace, shots fired, how come I gotta duck to be safe? Stand up, put a hand up, if they call you nigga, never answer. Tell them you're a descendant of Mansa, Musa, a trailblazer, civilization. I'll stop right there. I'll stop right there. But yeah, so uh, just, you know, like, I really want to start to push us collectively to 
divorce ourselves from the things that we needed to do. I'm not dissing what we've had to do to cope. But now it's like, okay, you know, like, just like if, if you came in the room and you had a loved one who has been recovering from an illness, at some point it's like, okay, are you feeling better now? Yo, you feeling good. Let's go out for a walk. Come on, let's go. Get up. You sat there long enough. Get up. Let's go out for a walk. You know, that, that season is over. You, you, you're well now. Let's get up. Let's go. But we get so accustomed to sitting down and in recovery and you start to adopt some of your recovery practices as your lifestyle, but you got to snap out of that. Like, okay, we did this because we needed to for a time, but now it's time to shift from that. Let's, let's get back on our feet and go do something different. So that's that. I like it, man. I like it. I mean, you just saw an evolution. I mean, at some point we got to evolve, you know, we can't keep doing the same stuff over and over looking for a different result at this point. I think that, you know, you know, what you're doing, uh, what you're doing with music, a lot of people doing music right now is taking it to a different level. I mean, I think that, you know, we had really good music for a long time, you know, to be honest with you. Some of this new stuff is scary. You know, you think about, we can't sell dope forever. You know, you know, you think about that. I think Sai the Prince, that's one of his favorite lines. You can't sell dope forever, man. I mean, you got to think about, we need to start selling visions of what we want the world to be like, opposed to like what it is like at this point. Who's yeah. paying for it? Yeah, who's paying for it? The, like I said, the, mm-hmm. you know, the people who make the most money off of what we're doing right now, you know, they can't do what we do. And they, they're literally the marketing department for the mass incarceration <laughs> yeah, um, prison, point, it, it's, it's literally you know hip-hop has been coerced as to almost like being a commercial for the prison industrial complex the more bodies that we can kind of filter away from excellence into this abyss you know the more money that could cycle through it's so it's like billions of dollars that are being made by people who have nothing to do with any of this and you know, we fall victim to it. You know, um, one of the worst things, I'll share this and I promise I'm, I'm going to stop. But when I went to the Philippines uh, back in 2013, uh, I was working with the disaster response organization at the time called Team Rubicon. And uh, we went to the Philippines right after Typhoon Haiyan made landfall there and just devastated um, mostly Leyte province uh, in the Philippines. We had a conversation with one of our team members who is originally from the Philippines. She's Filipino and she was just explaining to us that culturally there, you know, it's really important that, you know, that you do for all, not just do for one. So she was like, if you walk into a small village that has been affected by this disaster, and you have 20 sandwiches, but there are 40 people. She was like, you rather not give out one sandwich if you don't have 40. She was like, because they will see it as separating them by only giving out 20. Like, what about these other 20 people? It's like, if you don't have enough for everybody, just don't, don't even open the bag. Just wait until you have enough. Because to the people, it's more important that they stay together then this one person get a sandwich and maybe I'll get a sandwich. Maybe I'll get a sandwich. 
in this context, one of the most dangerous things that we have ever been led into is this idea that we should not function together. We are a together people. You know, we, we by choice lived in village settings because when you wake up and walk outside of your door, you're looking at somebody else's door. It was like a, a circle in the middle where we could meet and we could share space. While you had your own space, there was this idea of like there being a center where we could all commune and be together. And so in this context where we are today, where it's just kind of every person for themselves, I can come to you and offer you a lot of money and you will sell out your whole community because you get the bread. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous. So now I'm making music that I know is leading young people to the slaughter. They're playing my music while they're shooting people. But I'm good with it because I'm making bread and I got a show next week. It's crazy. That's that's the sign. That's a sign of a sick and twisted people. Like you, that's just sickness. That's like almost demonic to me. It's like this is crazy. So the other thing I would say, and I'm swear I'm done, we have to get back to embracing tribalism. And I come to the point where I'm just like, okay, I see that activity over there. That's another tribe. I ain't from that tribe. They ain't even my people like that. Like I, we might look alike, but their culture is different than my culture. You know, so beyond just kind of taking this blanket, we're all the same. If we trace our roots back to wherever we're from, we'll realize like, no, they eat humans over there. We don't get down like that. We're herbivores, you know, we don't even, <laughs> we don't eat other people, you know? So some people come from that. They come from people who are just different. And that's, I'm learning to also be okay with that. But the last thing I'm trying to do is uh, be this underrepresented tribe. I want, I want my tribe to be, you know, to have a voice as well. Well said, man. I mean, I, I totally agree on that. I mean, you go back to the, to the value of community and tribalism at this point. I mean, you know, very, you know, very nomadic people, but very, very tribal people at this point. And, you know, you think about, you know, you think about what gentrification is trying to do on some levels where it separates these families and, and these homes and it separates these communities. You know, I think that you know, there's strength in numbers, you know, and that's the biggest thing a lot of people don't accept or realize in this country that if a group of people get together and all decide this is wrong, then it becomes wrong. If one person says it's wrong and nobody believes it, it's just one person complaining at this point in time. So it's more the strength in numbers, it's more about getting back to more of a community as a collective, to be honest with you. We got away from that a long time ago. We became more individualistic over time, and it just happened. I think it happened because, you know, we got different value systems. Our value system is kind of screwed up in this country, to be honest with you. And we got to um, get back to get back to what, what it used to be like. No, we were penalized, man. We were brutalized and penalized for trying to stick together. You know, those people, yeah. like, whole communities bond. Because, you mm -hmm. know, y'all trying to be together? Y'all trying to work together? Like, I would burn this whole thing down. Like, this ain't going to happen. Like, so, again, a lot of what we're doing has been because we've had to cope. But we can't stop, we can't stop trying to build what we know needs to be built because of what has happened in the past. It's time to, it's time to kind of like, again, pick the pen back up and write the next chapter of our evolution.
I agree. Man, Jay, well, you know, I definitely want to thank you for joining us, dropping gems and, you know, introducing us to your next chapter. I'm pretty sure there's plenty more chapters on the horizon for you. Um, before Novak closes us out, was there anything else that you wanted to sort of um, kind of plug or promote or kind of like let us know what's going on? Yeah, man. First of all, I can't thank y'all enough. Uh, at some point, I forgot we were even recording and even like in this format. I just feel like old times, just us sitting around, hanging out, you know, just talking, uh, which is which is the beauty of it all. It's just our brotherhood, and you know, I you all know that I'm forever grateful for just the the friends and brothers that you all have been to me over all of these years, and just look forward to us continuing to build, but. Um, in terms of like a forecast of what's on the horizon, uh, what I'm super excited about now, I'm actually uh, putting some finishing touches on uh, some songs that I'm gonna fly to LA and record live with my, my brothers out there, uh, the band. So this will be my first time recording a full live album. Uh, and man, when you all hear these dudes, my God, these are some of the, the best musicians that I even know. And um, just a lot of fun creating with them. Uh, if you ask me, I would tell you that one of my favorite elements of performing or sharing art is like in that live band kind of a format. I just enjoy it so much. So I'm really looking forward to spitting some of these rhymes with like a drummer behind me, a bass player, keys, guitar, and all of that and just getting loose and creating in the moment. Um, we got the studio already lined up. Um, there's a, a strong likelihood that we might like live stream the actual recording session. So just kind of make an event out of the actual process. So stay tuned for that. But um, my brothers, uh, they go by Audiv, which is uh, A-W-D-I-V, which is all we do is vibe. And so, um, you know, when I tell you fun, like this is some fun music. I think this might be my most fun album. Like just, you know, I wouldn't say playful, but just the the, the feeling that I'm getting from the song so far is just light and uh, lots of good vibes, just like good fun hip hop. So I'm looking forward to it, but stay tuned for that. Nice, nice. Yeah, definitely, definitely keep us in the loop on that. You know, if you do a live, you know, a live video on that, man, creating music live. I mean, there's nothing like music live in that situation. You know, you got a good band behind you. I'm definitely going to check those guys out. I mean, the name alone, I'm sitting there like, man, that's creative. <laughs> that name alone makes you go, who they, who are who's these dudes, man? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty tight name you think about it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but man, Jason, man, it's been nice, man. Get you up on the show. You know, man, you're right about that. You know, this is almost therapeutic for all of us on the show sometimes. Coming through, just chopping it up, you know, despite the fact, you know, pandemic won't go away, you know, weirdness in the world, but it's always good to sit down with family, man, and just talk out things. Yeah, yeah we man. appreciate you, man. Big time on that on the show. Likewise, man. Appreciate you guys. Blessings to your families and y'all take care. We'll do, man. Right. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Hip Hop Heads. Uh, definitely check us out on Spotify, iTunes, and Audible. 
Yeah, we're everywhere out there. Definitely check us out. Check this episode out. And it's a part one of this episode. Even though this is the best episode, the best version of this, this is the best part of this episode. Definitely want to take a look at that. You know, get get at us on uh we're gonna get on social media and work with No Sage on that. But yeah, thank you for having us this evening. And definitely uh, you know, listen to something nice out there, listen to something that makes you think, listen to something that makes you grow. And yeah, we're all for now. Thank you.